It's a pleasure to be with you, and it's an honor to be with you and to share about this important topic of suffering and disability as it fits into the larger category of suffering. Um, if there's one thing that I hope I accomplish while I'm here, uh, it will be to not only get you to look at your own suffering a little differently, a little better from the standpoint of Scripture and what God has in mind, but for you to be able to reach out to others and help them in their suffering. And so those are the two topics we'll be talking about. But let's commit this time to the Lord. Gracious Father, you're the one who created this world. You created us. From the day of the fall, we've wrestled with disability and suffering. And we recognize there is coming a day when there will no longer be any disability and suffering. So we look forward to that day. For now, we look forward to being faithful. Help us to do that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been looking forward to this time. Uh, first of all, reunion with friends uh, that I've met over the years. We had about eight wonderful years here in Tampa. Um, my children will tell you that their childhood years all were spent here and they look upon them favorably, and they, uh, we often reflect on humorous stories and just stories of things that happened when we were here in an enjoyable way, especially when we get together as a family. But I've been looking forward to this time for another reason, and it's because it was here in 1997 that after I spoke at Grace Bible Church uh, up on... Uh, uh, East-West Route 4? Is it 4? 60. 60. Why don't you get 4? Oh, 4 is north, right? No. Yes. <laughs> I weigh 60. All right. The, uh, the time that we uh, spent there in that church was a wonderful experience. And, uh, again, we look, forward, we look forward to a day of uh, reunion as a family coming down here together. We haven't been able to do that. But uh, it was two weeks into the time that we were here, and I preached a Sunday morning. I wasn't the regular preacher. I think I filled in for some reason. But a woman in the congregation came up to me and said, I won't give her name tonight, but I will probably beg to say it tomorrow night. She said, are you involved with ministry at Johnny and Friends? I said, yes. In fact, since my daughter was born, and at that point it was seven years, eight years, eight years. She said, well, when are you going to preach about disability? And I paused, and I had nothing to say, and I said, next week. And so that would begin my study of, of disability. I'd done work as a volunteer and uh, took part in parent organizations uh, and enjoyed those, did that with my family. But I had not really studied anything about disability, about suffering, and that was the event that started me. It was preaching a sermon here. Uh, it was over in Brandon. But uh, So this is full circle for me in some ways. Uh, and uh, this means a lot to me, to be quite honest. Well, I bring you greetings from the Dual family. Those of you who know my wife and my kids, uh, they wish they could be here. Uh, they are all very busy working and doing the things that uh, families do these days. But I'd like to... Uh, 
shift our attention now to the topic because we've got really uh, we've got some important things to think about. Some of them won't be easy. Some of them will require some soul searching, and that can often be uncomfortable, if not painful. But our approach tonight and tomorrow, I just want to give you the plan so you can understand how things fit together, uh, will be that uh, tonight we're going to talk about us and our suffering and our self-care, our spiritual self-care, and then reaching out to others, us reaching out to others. Tomorrow, I'll challenge the church to reach out to people with disabilities and people who are suffering. So that's the very simple plan, and uh, we're in phase one of the plan. So please allow me to start our time with three principles that I hope you will take with you. These are three things that are very important to remember about disability and suffering. And some of you have disabilities, some of you are suffering from other forms of, of pain and grief in this world. Um, know that it's all under the umbrella of suffering and it's all a result of the fall. God didn't make this world this way. We're living out the effects of the fall. But those three things are basically this. First of all, not every person with a disability suffers. Is that a strange thought? There are people who have disabilities who really feel very little suffering whatsoever, physical pain, social isolation, whatever the case may be. Um, life works for them well, and they can do life, and they suffer about as much as anyone else, but no more because of the disability. And then there are people with disabilities and other forms of suffering that suffer greatly. And so back to the point we made earlier this evening, we have to remind ourselves that there, there are degrees of suffering. And it's not all the same. And that distinction is very important, especially if you're one who suffers greatly. But secondly, and this will help you, I hope, with your view of suffering itself. Secondly, we generally take a passive view of suffering. Think of the last time you went through something that was deeply painful. Um, what did you do? You just took it. You passively received it. We wait for it. It just happens, and then we move on. We don't do anything except suffer. But the biblical view of suffering is not passive like that. It's active. It's very active. The biblical and active view of suffering is the one that the psalmist addresses when his thinking finally becomes clear and his confusion ends. We're going to watch the psalmist in the second hour tonight in Psalm 73 get so frustrated he can hardly think straight. He's confused. He's ready to speak against God. And then all at once he comes to his senses or something like that. Something happens. And then he reflects on the goodness of God. And he celebrates the nearness of God. What we need to do is figure out what happened to him. So we can do that in our lives when we suffer. And so we'll try to do that. Finally, the psalmist mind becomes clear. And a lot of the problem with suffering is the confusion that goes with it. Suffering is confusing. And if you've gone through suffering recently, you can probably recall a day when you were just beside yourself 
it was hard to do anything. It was hard to function. It was hard to think about others and what they're going through. It, it consumed you. That's where the psalmist is. He becomes thoroughly confused. But then clarity comes. Where did clarity come from? That's what we need to find out. Crucially, the psalmist cuts off the passive. It's not just happening to him anymore. He takes an active role. He steps up and he steps in to his own suffering. Kind of takes it by the horns and addresses it and deals with it. And he comes out the other side of it, praising God. How does that happen? That's what we need to find out. And ultimately, what really makes a huge difference is something that probably is going to make a lot of sense to you right now. But he learns how to talk to himself. He learns how to address himself and set himself on the right path. So we'll talk more about that. So the third thing, then, is that suffering in Scripture is a wisdom issue. You might think, well, I, I can't see any relationship at all between wisdom and suffering. What possibly could wisdom have to do with suffering? Well, wisdom is how you deal with life. It's a skill for living. You want to think about what the word wisdom means in the Bible very simply. It's practical skill for living one day at a time. It's not this philosophical uh, Greek notion of wisdom. It's very practical. It's getting through the day many times. And in psalmist's experience, it's getting back with God. Well, wisdom in suffering appears in what biblical books? You could probably think of one where somebody suffers a whole lot. His favorite book of ours, Job. Job is a wisdom book. It's a book about how to suffer. So you say, well, what do we learn from the book of Job about suffering? Many things, and we'll talk about a few of those things. But the psalmist in Psalm 73 probably deals with it in a way that's more manageable for us to think about and to apply to our own lives. Job is hard for me to connect with. I can't figure out where he is half the time. Sometimes he's praising God. Sometimes he's saying, where is God? Is there a God? He's not sure. Uh, he has ex extreme doubt at some points. Probably he's more like me than the psalmist. We do the same thing in, in many respects. And no wonder, because suffering is a wisdom issue, we talked about this uh, the last session together. Some of our favorite, one, uh, one of the favorite verses we all have comes from the book of James chapter 1. We used to pray this before our exams in Bible college. If, any man, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Do you know that's about suffering? That's wisdom specifically for suffering because that's what the book of James is about. The book of James is a letter written to people who were suffering greatly. And James writes to help them through their suffering. He says the first thing you gotta, you got to do, you got to get it right, and that is you've got to pray and ask God for wisdom. Because it's only in wisdom that will get you through suffering. Well, this evening we're going to look at a difficult and broad-reaching topic of suffering, asking the question, what does it mean to sing through your suffering? Because the psalmist does. The psalmist sings through his suffering. In fact, he writes Psalm 73 so that Israel will sing his song of suffering perpetually in their worship service. 
If you were to ask an ancient Israelite, what do you do when you suffer? I think their minds would go right to the Psalms of lament and, and suffering and say, you sing. You sing the praises of God. And that helps you to get back on track. Well, please note uh, one side issue, and that is that I'm going to use tonight three disability conventions for communicating, and here's what they are. I've written out my text fully in the slides. Almost everything I'm going to say after this will be on a slide. That way, if someone is hearing impaired, they'll be able to look at the slide and read it. Secondly, I've used large, bold lettering in my slides. So, again, someone who is sight impaired will be able to see better. They'll be able to see the words better. And then finally, <clears throat> for those who are intellectually challenged, cognitively challenged, I'm trying to use what's called easy English. That is, get rid of the big words that can be said better anyhow with three smaller words and easier to process and uh, more effective. So those three conventions I'll be using tonight. Well, helping the hurting. I asked the question last hour, is, anyone, is there anyone here who is not suffering in some way tonight? No one raised their hands. I didn't either. And that's because suffering is, is on a sliding scale. We've all had a headache today. We've all had a joint ache today, probably some of us more than others of us. We've experienced degrees of, of pain and suffering. <clears throat> Excuse me. But then there are people who have suffered profoundly today. They might not even be able to get out to come tonight. There may be people like that that I don't know about. So that's important for us to remember, is that suffering is a matter of degree. And we have to address it that way. It's nice to create a large category and call it disabilities. And I'll show you a slide tomorrow uh, for those of you who will be here of all the disabilities organized in little categories. And it's overwhelming. And that's the point of the slide. It's extremely complex, an extremely complex issue. Um, but you know what? We don't need to understand everything about every disability. We need to understand ourselves and those who are close to us that we love and what their disabilities are. Tonight we're going to look at ministering with and to people with disabilities. Uh, we're going to first look at our own challenges and then we'll talk about how we try to address the challenges of others and minister to other people. So ministering through our disabilities. One in seven people in the world has a disability. That's a billion people. And that, there again, it's all different degrees and different kinds of disabilities. But that's a large portion of the population. When we ask ourselves, all right then, do we have one in seven people with disabilities in our families, in our communities, in our churches? Well, that's different. We don't often see the larger representations of disabilities. But the people are out there in the world, and they're suffering. Those of us who live to be 80 will have a 50% chance of developing a disability. Pretty large, huh? So disability is something we all ought to be familiar with. Disability is us. It's our experience, and not, it's not someone else's experience. It's our experience. 
Suffering is not easy, but God can use our suffering to help us, and then we can help others. So that's our simple plan for what happens here tonight and tomorrow. We suffer, yes we do, and we'll suffer more, according to that statistic of uh, over 80, 50, 50%. But we suffer and then we try to help others in our suffering. And my observation is people with disabilities are often more effective at encouraging and helping people, other people through their suffering. My boss, Johnny Erickson Tata, is one of the greatest encouragers I know. I watch her encourage people day in and day out through her devotionals, and I hear her even when we get together in group. She never stops encouraging people. She won't let you out of the room unless she encourages you genuinely, not, not falsely. Well, how do we do this? I mean, this is a, a tall challenge. If we're suffering and other people are suffering, how can we reach out beyond ourselves? That's the question we're going to try to answer tonight. Paul says this. He says, we also rejoice, sounds like the psalmist, in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance, proven character, proven character produces hope. We need all these things. We need endurance to keep going in our suffering when we feel like quitting. We need proven character because that's what God's doing in us. He's improving our character through our personal study of the word, our meditation, through pastor's messages and lessons, all that we do. Our character is gradually or should be gradually improving over time. Now, some of us are struggling with some of the things that we've struggled with all our lives. Me. I've got some of those things. Uh, we do that, but hopefully we struggle and we get better. We prove character better. And then finally, hope, without which we can do nothing. This conversation would be over tonight if I couldn't offer you genuine hope based on Scripture. So hope is everything. By the way, hope isn't wishful thinking. I live near Saratoga, New York, so everyone watches the horse races and I stay away from there. I like to watch the horses. I love the horses, but the gambling and stuff like that doesn't seem like a, a good uh, way to use your time. But one thing I've noticed, everybody goes to the track with hope, wishful thinking. That's all it is. I hope I win tonight, but I have no idea whether or not I will. That's not what hope means in the Bible. Hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. It's confident expectations that God will do what he promises to do. Hey, that's a win-win. That's a sure win. There's no failure in that anywhere. How does God work through our suffering, including disabilities, to prepare us to serve others? Well, the hard way <laughs> for us, it will involve suffering many times. And one of, the, one of the honest questions that we entertained in the last hour is, what about if you've lived a relatively pain-free life and people around you are suffering and you want to understand what they're going through? Well, the key is in the want. The key is in the want. That's so incredibly important. First, we must understand how God is working on us through our suffering. And unless we understand that, we'll just think we're experiencing a lot of bad luck. Oh, how's your day? Oh, terrible, terrible day. 
What are you going to do? Oh, hope for a better day tomorrow. Well, that won't do. That's not good enough for us because we have better than that offered to us. Let's look at a few things that suffering can help us do. And I'm going to go through these fairly quickly, and uh, you'd probably like to talk about some of them at length because it's where you are. But let's just look at the group and think about them as some of the many ways that God is using suffering. Suffering can help us draw close to God. Notice that's the first one. It's because it's the most important. And that's what the psalmist concludes in Psalm 73. At the end of it, it's only about one thing. It's only about the nearness of God. Forget the wicked prospering. Forget the righteous suffering. It's about this, being near God and God being near us. Secondly, suffering breaks our grip on this world. Hey, if you want to take a dim view to the material things and the experience of this life, suffer. It all goes out the window very quickly. People who suffer deeply will tell you, none of that stuff means anything. And it's not just a matter of not being able to experience it. It's realizing just how trivial some of these things are. Now, I'm not discouraging you from giving up your favorite sport because I have my own things that I enjoy doing. But how much hope do we place in them? Uh, how much satisfaction do we place in them? That's a, those are reasonable questions to ask. Suffering makes us sympathetic toward others. That came up several times in our session together last hour, that uh, we and people around us become more sensitive to the pain and the suffering of others. It's true. Suffering helps us grow in patience. I don't like that one. One time I prayed for patience. You don't ever want to pray for patience. It's not a good idea. Um, God will work with you on your patience. Trust me. Um, you can pray that God will help you be patient with the circumstances that he brings to your life. It's a much safer prayer. <clears throat> Patience, meekness. You know, if someone has suffered deeply, you're not going to be talking to an arrogant person. You're going to be talking to a very meek and humble person. Submission and resignation, those are the hardest ones for all of us. Resignation, I, do I accept the suffering? that God sends me? Well, probably not immediately. That, that's human honesty. It hurts. We're not supposed to laugh at what hurts. We're not supposed to be happy about what hurts. We're supposed to hurt and be honest about it. Suffering shows us our weakness and inability to control our lives. Boy, that goes out the window fast. What happened? My dad said this to me. Last week, I uh, had to put him in managed care because of his deteriorating health. And uh, he, said, he said, I've been reasonably healthy all my life and felt strong, worked outdoors. Uh, and uh, at, 94, at 94, he's starting to lose some of that. And it's a frightening experience, the loss of control. But that is what suffering teaches us, another thing. Suffering is not God punishing us but purifying our souls. That's very important. Because we might think the former. I must have done something wrong. God is getting me. Well, God might chasten you. He would chasten you in love, Hebrews 13. But probably the question we ought to be asking is, is there any unresolved sin? If not, 
It's genuine suffering, plain and simple. And finally, suffering does not come from God's wrath, but his mercy. You say, well, that seems obvious, but you know what? You get into the throes of suffering, and you think you're getting wrath. That's your first impulse. God must be mad at me. I must have done something horribly wrong, when in fact, maybe you didn't. Maybe it's just God's mercy, and he's drawing you closer to himself through your suffering. Once we understand how God is working on us through our suffering, then we can minister to others through our suffering. You say, is it really necessary that I be successful in my own suffering? Forget the word success. Like we said last hour, there are no experts at suffering. No one becomes an expert. Just when you think you've mastered one thing, another thing comes along. And you probably didn't master the first thing anyhow. But that's not what this statement is talking about. What this statement is talking about is that we come to understand how to deal with suffering in our lives. And not just take it passively and be sad about it only, but take an active approach. Then and only then are we really equipped to help other people. I mean, what do we say to someone in their suffering if we're not sure how to deal with our own? That's the issue here. And again, nobody's going to do that perfectly either. But we try. We do our best. We reach out. And that's what God expects of us. He doesn't expect us to do these things perfectly. Those of us who suffer can practice the one another's in Scripture one-on-one. You say, well, how did we get here talking about the one another passages? You know, one of the things that I've discovered in my own life in the way that I encourage others, in the way that I practice my own life, is that regardless of the disability or the other form of suffering that you have, you can always practice the one another's. And the one another's are the body life of the church. That's why we have a category of one another. And so <clears throat> how should the church work? Should, church should work one anothering, basically. That's how we meet one another's needs. That's how we encourage one another when we need encouragement. Um, if we only come Sunday morning or whenever we come to church and learn, that would be helpful. But what God expects us to do is to participate and to minister to others. Ministering to other people through the one another's, for example, is the outworking of all the good sermons that Pastor Mike preaches and the lessons that you hear taught. So what does it mean to practice to one another? Well, uh, it's not very clear. Sorry, I wanted to make that larger and I didn't. Well, you all should eventually have a sheet of these one another's. And you don't have to have it right in front of you right now. See poor Pastor Mike looking for the... <clears throat> I'll read them. But I want you to see how practical these are and how straightforward you're not going to wrestle with the meaning of any one of these and say, I wonder what that one anothering is. They're all right near the surface of our personal experience. For instance, encourage one another. I actually have a sheet right here. Encourage one another's faith. What does that mean? Well, it means do what you can to nurture people in their walk with the Lord. And it will differ from day to day and 
conversation to conversation. Somebody may be struggling. They need uh, encouragement to get through the struggling. Somebody may be struggling with their walk with God, and they need to be challenged in that way. Uh, but encouraging one another's faith, it happens to be the first in the order of the New Testament. It's probably one of the most important one another's because that's how we help one another best. That's how we love one another best is by encouraging one another's faith. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. It's not so much a do, but it's a feel. feel feeling like the people around you are part of your spiritual family. One day I found myself saying this. There are people in my church, and in this church, that I'm closer to than some of my own family members. I felt really guilty about that at first. The more I thought about it, you know what? That's pretty natural. That's actually reasonable. Because why? Because we share. We share one another's grief. We try to help one another. Maybe our family members can do this. Maybe some family members just aren't there. And uh, they don't help us. They might hurt us in some ways. So, yes, that is what the body of Christ is all about. It's being a cut better, if it can be, in this way, in the ways that we're talking about. So be devoted to one another. Love that word devoted. That's, uh, I commit myself to you. Because I want to help you. I want what's in your best interest. Give preference to one another in love. As I was standing in the line at the airport yesterday thinking, this line is awfully long. Oh, boy. I see that open spot up there. Maybe no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> we look out for ourselves so well. Do we look out for others? That's the question. Be of the same mind toward one another. Romans 12, 16. Building up one another. I won't go through these, all these uh, and illustrate them for you because, again, they, the meaning is very clear and near the surface. And we don't have the time tonight. But I do ask one thing of you. When you get this sheet, please take it home and put it on your refrigerator with all the photos and stuff and use the magnet. You know the magnet? And you can use it to cover up the scratch in the refrigerator because it's a big sheet. Uh, and you'll see it. And take one of these each day. Take one of these each day and think, now how am I going to start practicing this in my Christian life? It will revolutionize your Christian life. It will revolutionize your relationship, relationships with other people in this church. Well, there are a bunch of them. There's a lot of overlap in these. You see the word encourage again and again and again. You see the word love again and again and again. But some of them are very unique. I would encourage you to study these. Uh, and again, if you put this on your refrigerator or some visible place, uh, it would be helpful. I'm just going to skip through them because you're going to have the sheet. I'd love to take each one of these and make a message out of it because there's enough there in each one of them but uh, we don't have the time. Of course, share the gospel with others. I mean, that goes without saying, or it should. That's our first priority. Uh, the one conversation that I have with, with John, my boss, whenever we're struggling with how are we going to help, how are we going to do a better job with disabilities, and it always comes back to this. And I've heard her say it, I've heard myself say it, the way that we love people not just people with disabilities, people suffering in other ways, best 
is by sharing the gospel with them, by challenging them to grow in Christ. If we'll practice the one another's, excuse me, in church, at home, and wherever we go, God will bless our one another ministry, particularly as we serve as examples for how Christians should care for one another. If I had the time tonight, I'd love to give you four or five statements from the early church where the Christians' unsaved neighbors were just bowled over by the love that Christians had for one another. They died for one another. They would step in and say, no, take me into the uh, auditorium where the lions would be released. And it left a profound impact on unsaved people. In that day, I believe it can happen in this day as well. If we will practice the one another's at church and at home and wherever we go, three orbits of activity, not just at church, but with your family, with your neighbors as well. That's ministry. You say, well, I've always wanted to do ministry in church. If you do the one another's, you will be doing ministry in the church. Don't just think of teaching Sunday school, of pastoring, of being a missionary as ministries. Ministering to one another is a ministry. And as we've already said, it's the life of the church. It's the benefit of believers. It's the benefit of those that you love and that you attend church with. Let me close this with a word of prayer. <clears throat> we'll come back the next hour uh, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about, okay, there's the challenge. I can do ministry in the church. Uh, regardless of my disability. And by the way, some of you who have disabilities are incredibly called and gifted. You may not know it yet. But I've seen that many times. Again, I go back to my, my boss, who is one of the brightest people I know. She can sing, she writes, she paints, she does everything. And she suffers from quadriplegia. That's incredible. Uh, and Probably greatest of all, she's an encourager. Well, food for thought. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the simple realization that practicing one another's, the one another's in scripture, is ministry in the church. Even though we may or may not do other things, teaching roles, leading roles, if we can do the one another's, we can serve in the church in probably the most needful way. So help us to not only grasp the need for one anothering in the church, but to take an active role in ministering to other people, even through our own suffering. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.